Welcome back to the Two Man Wall Podcast. This is Match Week 17. I'm your host, Brady, and I'm back in New Jersey with my co-host, Ethan. How's it going? And this week, I we've said the Premier League's been going 100 miles an hour for a while now. I would say this is one of the more tame match weeks that we've yeah. had. No real crazy results. I mean, you could say one upset result, per se. Maybe like Liverpool, United. I think a lot of people were on Liverpool in that one. Mm-hmm. Both of us. I think I said yeah. 4-0. You said 3-0. So Absolutely. definitely two of us were pretty sure of a Liverpool victory there. United proved this wrong. Um, but other than that, some pretty standard results around the grounds. Uh, Newcastle beat Fulham. Chelsea take care of business against uh, Sheffield. Tottenham take care of business. Uh, Arsenal take care of business. Villa take care of business. Everton now, I guess you can say they're taking care of business. Yeah. Uh, that's just the form they're on. So yeah, not 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 too crazy match week. But we're st- still here nonetheless to break it down for you. First off, however... We have to get into, as always, when there's a manager sacked, the manager sacking itself. Ethan, do you want to take us through who got the boot this week? Yeah, so I think only the second sacking of the season, yeah. which is a bit surprising by this yeah. point. Usually there's at least three or four. Uh, but this time it is Steve Cooper who was on the chopping block. A uh, manager people probably expected to go after the 5-0 defeat at Fulham but was able to last two more matches, but this week he did get the sack. One win in his last 13, winless in six. Forrest currently sitting five points above the drop zone. Um, doesn't Obviously, the form is pretty poor from yeah. Forrest's point of view, but personally, I still think that this is a really harsh sacking yeah. because it's not just any manager. This is a manager who... Two years ago, took them over when they were bottom of the championship and in the same season got them promoted to the Premier League via the playoffs. And obviously he kept them up uh, last season. And then, yes, obviously this is a very poor run of form, but only 17 games in and still five points clear. I wouldn't, obviously it's not a great position to be in, but... I'd say it's far from immediate danger. And for a manager who is beloved, you know, around the club, as far as I've read and can tell, he still has pretty or had a pretty good grasp on the dressing room. Uh It's not like he lost a lot of the players. And obviously the fans adore him for what he's done for the club. I really think that this is just a hasty sacking, but at the same time, not necessarily surprising just because of what we've seen in the modern game now. It's, you know, as soon as you go in the poor run of form, every, everything you've done before kind of seems to become redundant. And it's a very sad reality. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of compare it to the Claudio Ranieri sacking, mm-hmm. you know, a season after pulling off one of the greatest upsets in the history of sports. But in a way, that one's almost more understandable because at that point, it was later in the season, probably around like, February, I believe, and Leicester were in the relegation zone, and it was very clear that there was, that if they held on to Renieri or that form continued any longer, they genuinely were in danger of going down. So as harsh as it was, it seemed like the right decision at the Mm -hmm. time. This, however, it just doesn't seem like the danger is that imminent. So I really think that he did deserve a bit more time, but... uh, yeah, looks like Nuno is expected to be the replacement there. I don't know what you think about that. Uh, I think it's a good sign. I mean, there's so many managers out there, but a lot of them are like like Potter, for example. I think Potter could do a really good job with this specific team. A lot of English players. It compares well to the Brighton side that he had. But I think that he, at this stage of his career having get, gotten the Chelsea job, not done too well with it, but gotten the Chelsea job, maybe he's looking for something a little more high budget. Maybe he's deserving of something a little more high budget. Maybe he's not. Maybe you can make the argument that he tried yeah. and failed with with a high budget team. Um, but I think Grant Potter would have been, in my opinion, the only man, unemployed manager off the top of my head that I think would have been a better signing. Nuno has had some f- pretty, has had some failures recently. And I don't, I'm not, entirely confident what, what, what team was he last with the, in the Premier League with Tottenham Tottenham and that was kind of a disaster 
from the start almost. Well, he he also had a harsh sacking. It was yeah. only seven games in. Yeah. It was really, in my opinion, it was really more a product of the fact that Antonio Conte was out there. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, Steve Cooper, I, I do agree. Also, like, Taiwoni was one of the players that was a different That's maker last year. To mention and he was he's been injured almost the entire season. So mm-hmm. or at least during yeah. their poor spell. spell. Yeah. At the beginning of the season they were pretty good, and that's yeah. because of Wony was they, like the scoring They streak. lost Brennan Johnson in the summer to Tottenham. They lost Taiwoni. Their front two, I was looking at their lineup, they're playing a front two with Morgan Gibbs White and Anthony Alanga, neither of whom are strikers. Mm-hmm. Good players, but yeah. Not, you know. I think maybe you have Chris Wood on the bench, maybe you that's on him to not <laughs> to not play his striker and Divock for that matter. But I I think that he deserves a little bit more time. And if he got another two months, I think they get out of this. I mean, even in the start of the season, they were on pretty good form. It's just really the last, you know, like you said, one win the last 13, like it happens. It definitely one win your last 13 for a different manager could definitely be damning. But one win your last 13 for a manager that did so much for your club has proven that he can take this team places, take the squad places, I think it's a bit harsh. Could end up paying off. Nuno Espirito Santo, experienced Premier League manager, did very well for Wolves, who are who were in a similar position coming out of the uh, championship when he took over and had his good spell in the Premier League. So, sure, I, I, see, I see their logic. However, this wasn't... Uh, like a oh, gotta get to Nuno before somebody else does situation because he's probably gonna be there in another two three weeks if you want to give him that time. So I th- I agree it's a little bit hasty, but only time will tell. And with that, we will hop into some match week seventeen coverage, starting off with Manchester City two, Crystal Palace two. Crystal Palace go to the Etihad and snag a point, quite miraculously, I must say. I we watched this game. It was. One-way traffic for a lot of it. Uh, Crystal Palace almost content with only losing 2-0 at one point. Um, the goals came from Jack Grealish in the 24th and then Rico Lewis in the 54th. Kind of cruising, then all of a sudden ball flings up to Jeffrey Slup across to Mateta, catching Ake off guard, I believe it was. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's squeaky bum time for City at home. And squeaky bum time it was until... I don't even know who won the penalty. I think it was Jonayu. It was, Ma- was Mateta. 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 Um, was it Diaz? Foden. Foden. Right, Foden. Yes, Foden, of course. Foden comes flying across. Mateta just gets to the ball before Foden does. I mean, it would have been a clean tackle if Mateta didn't get there first. It wasn't, like, reckless or anything. Yeah. Um, but because he didn't get there first, he came in, completely yeah. takes out Mateta, goes to VAR, but it's really no decision to make. Yeah. And Michael Lise... Slots home the penalty in the 95th minute to make it 2-2. And that's how it would end. 2-2 at the Etihad. And look, City have had in the past three, you know, they've three-peated now. Their past three years, they've had games like this where it's been like, okay, 2-0, then you go up a goal to a bad team. But it's always been that mentality and that kind of like City voodoo that's gotten them over the line. And that's how they win titles. This year, it seems like that kind of magic that they've had where they're just like, okay, let's win, and then we win, and then we win, and then we win. It's kind of like, it's not as prevalent as it was before. Obviously, like, maybe an old Man City team goes up 5-0 in this game, and they don't even have this this even option for some crazy draw. But it just seems like that extra last 5% that got them over the line in so many wins in the past three years maybe is not there this year. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly understand the point, and that's it's what it seems like now. They're current. I think they're currently they're five points off the top, which is the exact same gap they were behind Arsenal at this stage last season. Yeah, exactly. Seventeen games, five points behind Arsenal. Obviously, a bit different of a story because now they find themselves in fourth rather than yeah. second. Um, and also because it's also interesting to note that. They're also five points worse off. I think, yeah. what, they're on 34 now. I think they were on 39 uh, last season. So the overall standard kind of has dropped a bit, just in general, I guess. I mean, yeah. Arsenal... Dropped four uh, points in the four of the last five games, which is yeah. like unheard of. 
Yeah, absolutely unheard of for the city team. I'm sure you've seen you know, plenty of stats throughout the last couple of weeks about just how unheard of yeah. this run of form is for uh, Pep Guardiola side, especially this Pep Guardiola yeah. side. Um, and it's worth knowing because I think, because uh, I've always said and will continue to say that it's really not about what City do now because City have done have had these blips in form, maybe not this bad, yeah. which I will say this is definitely the greatest extent to which City have had poor form in the beginning of the season, or at least stretches of poor yeah. form. City have never really been poor. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I've always thought it's all about what they do at the end of the season during the run-in. They've never really had a poor stretch of form at the end of the season when they've been involved in the title race. You could say that they were great at the end. Yeah. When as soon as they win the title, of course, you know, it's all for shits and giggles yeah. at that point. But when they've been in the title race, that's when they turn it up. Yeah. And they've then they're always at their best. And pretty much I've said and will continue to say, until I see them trip up, you know, in the business end of the season, yeah. I won't be convinced that, you know, they won't win the title. Yeah. However, this it's it's a worrying sign. It really is. I mean, this isn't quite because it just isn't quite the city of old. It's mostly the same, but just you know they're missing Mars. They're missing Gundogan, who's such a crucial figure for them. But maybe did, hasn't really reared its head until now. Just how important he is. Yeah. Maybe it showed well, towards yeah. the end of last season. I think towards the end of this season, you might, we might see how important Gundogan was because he's the guy that scores the game winning goal in a lot of those run-in fixtures over the last three seasons. Mm. So, yeah, I agree. That uh, I mean, even like go back to like Sterling, like all these pieces, like slow, they're, they're leaving pieces. Pieces are leaving, Mars, Sterling, etc. And they're replenishing at a lesser speed. So now they have to slide in pieces like Rico Lewis uh, was Cole Palmer last year. They even got him as a uh, get rid of him. But they're playing, you know, Guardiola left back. Like, sure, he's very solid as left back. But like, is he like? And maybe you should be replacing. Is he Gundawan going or not Gundawan? Zinchenko going forward. Another piece they lost. It, Jesus is Alvarez. Jesus, like mm. maybe. But like, it seems like over the last three seasons, it's been their squad has been quietly depleting obviously incredibly strong you're play you get holland in there for god's sakes to a year and a half ago but it's see it's like their first 11 obviously in my opinion not obviously but in my opinion the best first 11 in the world however you when you go to your bench there was no holland in this game an injury a holland with injury history so if you don't have holland Mateus Nunez off the bench, good player, but he's not Mares and he's not Jesus. Uh, Oscar Bob coming off the bench, <laughs> like uh, Sergio Gomez, like there's Calvin Phillips. God forbid he gets any playing time. Like it's their bench is slowly depleting, and when it comes to the run, and if they're all healthy, that'll just be it'll be their first eleven running on you know full cylinders, and maybe they'll just cruise to another title, but. Arsenal have had to deal with a lot of injuries in their run-in. That's almost, in the end, William Saliba uh, comes to mind what cost them the title. It's very possible that in the end, this, it's tough to say lack of depth, but lack of exceptional depth which they've had in the last couple of years may come back to mind. Yeah, I think what's worth noting is that the depth of this Man City team comes from their new signings, meaning, you know, Mateus Nunez, you know, uh, Gvardiol, and uh, Kovacic as well. Um, that's where they've replenished. You know, that's where the depth is now for them. But something I have often said is that with new big city signings, Holland is the exception, of yeah. course. But a lot of the time, new signings for city that come in for a lot of money, they take a bit of time to adjust just because there is a lot of depth there. It's hard yeah. to get that consistent playing time in the position, uh -huh. you know, that they're best in 
Joe Cancelo didn't have a really impactful first season at City, but yeah. then after that, he was very good. It obviously, petered out at the end, yeah. but he had a very, very strong spell there. Uh, Bernardo Silva didn't really make a huge impact in his very first season. Yeah. Afterwards, has become one of their most yeah, important, player. important players. Jack Grealish, of course, did almost nothing in his first yeah. season and then played a big part in the trouble-winning yeah. season last year. So it is a common occurrence for them. But now they're kind of being more reliant upon these new players. Mateus Nunez is barely featured for this team. Yeah. Kovacic hasn't really quite, no. you know, picked it up yet, especially since he's kind of filling in for, he's almost a direct replacement for Gundogan. Yeah. As soon as left, they brought in Kovacic. Yeah. Or maybe it was right before when yeah. the, you know, departure was imminent. Yeah. Um, then Gvardiol, who was definitely their biggest signing of the summer, looked like, you know, the hottest uh properly defender on the planet yeah. really hasn't quite settled in he's had a couple really poor performances yeah. uh against uh chelsea i can remember specifically just not playing well yeah and he just hasn't really quite adapted now i think all of these players eventually are going to be great players to say guardiol is genuinely a fantastic center back and will probably be one of the world's best yeah. you know in the coming years but it is a common theme that we see with city and now that they're relying upon these players who typically take a while to adjust i think that could be just another reason why we're seeing this slight dip in sure. performance and so it's still city but there's just these little pieces that just aren't quite what they normally are mm. and maybe that is a sign that it won't quite be the same yeah, come May. this team might still get 85 points but is that going to be enough for a title in this season with Liverpool being very good and Arsenal being very good mm. and Villa being very good as well? So um, we move swiftly along to the next Manchester City, we can only imagine. Burnley nil, <laughs> Everton 2. Um, I mean, aside from, you know, Villa and maybe you can even say Arsenal, this is like, I, I mean, there are... There, Leecher Poor likes to throw up tables like, oh, like, points in the last two months, points in the last six months. Like, Everton are probably top four in the last, like, month and a half. Like, it's... Yeah. It's, if the season started a month and a half ago, they'd be pushing for the title. Um, Just an unbelievable run of form for, for Everton, and it continued into this game. Goals came from Amadou Onana in the 19th, and then Michael Keane the 25th. And another clean sheet victory for Everton. I'm going to scroll back in the match weeks, but I think that's four in a row. Four in a row, five wins in the last six. Four, they haven't conceded a goal in four games. The well, last time, four consecutive clean sheets. Four consecutive too? clean wow. sheet victories. Wow. Last time they lost, they conceded a goal was United away, mm-hmm. and that was 3 0. So, just unbelievable. Like, seriously, you can never doubt John Dyche. He <laughs> is just an unbelievable Premier League manager. You, If you put him in charge of United or something like that, wouldn't work out. But you put him in charge of any team 15 to 20 in the Premier League, it's just magic. And it, maybe it takes a year, maybe it takes two years, but it's going to be absolute fucking magic. As soon as they got DCL back, this team turned around. Mm-hmm. Like, we've been saying from the beginning that they fucked up giving DCL to Sean Dyche. Yeah. Because they would <laughs> just change the game. And more or less, it did. Yeah, um, I'll talk. I'll give Everton their praise in a second, but I do want to talk about the game itself because the way it played out, um, both on paper before and and just the game itself was very very poetic. Obviously, Sean Dyche coming back to Turf Moor, the Burnley, yeah. where he made a name for himself with his uh, yeah style of play, uh-huh. hoof it long four four two. Now coming back there to see, it's been uh, what's what's the right word. Tiki Taka yeah. <laughs> uh, with the company uh, implementing possession, play, pet ball, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And Sean Dice sticks to, sticks to his guns and it works for him. I mean, the first goal came right from a quarter. Onada just out jumping James Trafford. Just huge leap. And yeah. just gets their first on the corner. Yeah. And then they had another really good chance in the corner that they might have scored on. And then the second goal also comes from just a ball in the air that Tarkovsky wins the aerial duel, heads it down to Keane, who, after you know, a save from Trafford and a fortunate bounce, puts in the second. Yeah. And Burnley, for all their possession in the game, just didn't really create any real chances in their box. Their best chances in the game came from 
shots from outside the box that either I know Sander Burge struck the crossbar from outside the box, Pickford had to make a couple good saves, but they never really their build up play never really made it into any dangerous areas inside the box. And it just proved that, you know, Tiki Taka isn't always the answer and Daishball very clearly uh won out in this game. So yeah, just just great to see Everton uh on this run of form. And it really begs I think the question on everyone's mind is just how much the points deduction has affected this run of form. Is it mere coincidence? Or yeah. it can't be there is surely it can't be coincidence. It can't be fully. <laughs> it can't be sheer coincidence, and it also can't be completely because of the point deduction. So yeah. the question is, how much of what is, <laughs> you know caused this Everton row form? Was it really just like okay, they fucked up? Yeah. Now, like now we gotta now we gotta step it up. We're not taking this line down. Uh, if they get the ten point deduction appealed successfully there will be one goal behind brighton in ninth tied on points one goal difference behind brighton in ninth that is ridiculous yeah <laughs> it's ridiculous not just considering where they were in the beginning of the season which was the relegation zone for the mm. first eight weeks of the season more or less yeah but where they were last season and the week in the year before just a horrendous football team that probably needed more luck than skill to not get relegated and all of a sudden, they've turned into one of the most formidable teams in the Premier League right now. I would rather go to Spurs, maybe even Newcastle right now, because they're hurting. I would, like, Brighton, I Chelsea, like, I'd go to all those places before going to, to and this is the place where I ever, uh, Arsenal got a win, one yeah. nothing. Not pretty, by the way, but mm-hmm. it was a win. I would never want, I just wouldn't want to go. Um, to, to Goodison right now and that is the same way I felt about Turf Moor when Sean Dyche was in his heyday should I say I mean yeah. what the he got 7th right? yeah, yeah. yeah so that I mean that's a, it's similar I'm mm-hmm. I, it is oh, similar because that that Burnley team on paper <laughs> yeah. is a mid to bottom like, yeah. 13, oh, yeah like 14 like some of the pieces are in this team Tarkowski McNeil yeah. like he just brought them back yeah <laughs> no, we we genuinely could be seeing a similar season out of yeah. Everton, and it's well, it's very unlikely that they're gonna get the full ten points back. There is a good chance that they get some, some of those yeah. points back because again, I've just read up on um, just like the details of Everton's appeal. Them saying that they have like reasonable grounds for having gone over mm-hmm. um, the uh, you know the quote salary cap mm-hmm. uh in a way for all intent purposes mm-hmm. um but yeah they they did admit themselves that you know they went over so mm-hmm. it's very unlikely that they're gonna get all of it back but they can get maybe get down to maybe like a five point deduction yeah. and really make a push for top half if they can continue this kind of form yeah but yeah it's it's crazy times but for a second i do want to also talk about the uh flip side here and the uh, company's burnley because what company's trying to do with this group of players in the Premier League is difficult. You know, he's trying to play, you know, possession soccer in the Prem with, you know, uh, comparatively just lower level of players. And we saw with Arteta's Arsenal how long it took for him to implement his style of play and for it to work. Mm-hmm. And... By this point, Arteta's first full season, they were either 14th or 15th in the Premier League table. Uh, and it just really wasn't looking good for them. And it took, and it still took, they ended up finishing eighth that season, but it took a while for it to actually come to fruition. Mm. But that was Arsenal. They had, they had the luxury of being able to be a bit more patient. This is Burnley, who find themselves second from bottom, level on points with Sheffield United uh, at the foot of the table, and six points from safety with Nottingham Forest in the 17th. The question is, how long can Burnley wait for this Tiki Taka to work? 
I don't. I think company might be the next manager sacked. Like, are, are they really good? I don't know. I, the only reason I wouldn't is because I don't know how much uh, how loyalty they have towards uh, company. Because are they willing to go down with company? Because if so, then they'll give them the rest of the season. But clearly, whatever he's doing has not worked and has has worked rarely this season. And we're 17 match weeks in. So this is at this is the point I, we're starting to see some manager sackings. This is the point in the season where the sample size is big enough, you know, especially for a promoted club, like promoted club comes up. Obviously you back your manager. One of the biggest moments in recent history for any club, eight match weeks, you're in poor form, not a big enough sample size. Players get injured, players on bad form. You need to figure out the Premier League again, especially for companies. This first time ever managing in the Premier League, give him some time. 17 match weeks in, you have a big enough sample size. And that's what I think we saw with Steve Cooper. The sample size is big enough to justify a sacking. Maybe they're just overly loyal towards company because he has a good control of the dressing room. Guys love him. He's young, so he young for a manager. He, mm. you know, just retired. So he's, you know, he's only got maybe like eight, nine years on some of these guys in the dressing room. Maybe he's found a connection with these guys and they're unwilling to part with him so quickly but it's very possible he might be the next manager to go because the team itself is is fine it's decent it's probably good enough to stay up barely with the right manager mm-hmm. i think in my opinion 17 games in this team not only has not passed the eye test but not gotten points really uh the only reason they're not bottom is because sheffield united is so horrendously bad and i don't think that's too far-fetched to say there is a good chance that uh with sheffield united having already changed their manager um and Luton Town playing better of recent, mm-hmm. obviously taking two losses against Arsenal and City, but two very admirable performances. Um, Nottingham Forest having just changed their manager. Ever- I'm going up from the bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. Everton on great form. Crystal Palace, you know, Roy Hudson doing very well there. Um, Bournemouth on fantastic form for the last five, winning for the last five. Um, it-, it seems like on paper, odds on company seems like the next one to go just because of the form yeah well company it definitely seems like company is the most underperforming manager because i mean you look at Luton town a point above them yeah it's a big difference between burnley and Luton. burnley absolutely cruised mm-hmm. to the championship title last season Luton won the playoff final and have completed one of the most you know miraculous yeah kind of uh you know journeys yeah. from you know the from non-league all the way up to the premier league mm-hmm. and Nobody really was expecting them to stay up. Pretty much almost everyone had them sitting bottom of the yeah. table, let alone surviving. Yeah. And Luton have definitely passed the eye test. You mentioned you know, these performances against City, against Arsenal, against Liverpool. Haven't quite gotten the points, but in a way, nine points at this stage in the season isn't necessarily poor for yeah. Yeah, what people expected of them. So, yeah, definitely a big gap there. So in terms of next manager likely to go, yeah, you can you can argue how likely it is that company yeah. would be sacked, but he definitely seems like the most likely right yeah. now. Which is a shame because I think a lot of us had Burnley to stay out comfortably. Yeah, like 15th, I did. 14th. Like, I think I, I had him as high as 11th yeah, in my yeah. predictions. Just because there's always one team that historically mm-hmm. there's just always one team that like overperforms in the championship and them cruising to the title with you know on really good form passing the eye test it just made the most sense and they've come and just been almost the opposite so it's a shame to see but it happens like that sometimes is the bottom three just the three promoted teams it is rarely that happens but honestly it should probably be happening more in yeah. theory um and contrary to last season too, where it was one of the few times where none of the Bruins yeah. teams yeah. went down. So uh that was gonna press that to the like Southampton, Leicester, like those were yeah. yeah. Um but we move swiftly along to the feature match week, feature game of the match week. Liverpool nil, United nil. A game that we predicted seven goals combined, none of them for Manchester United. <laughs> Um, we were right about that. Yeah, <laughs> we got the zero right in the in the World Cup match predictor. We get one point for yeah. this match. Uh, not much else though. Um, United with a valiant valiant performance. Um, but was this one more of a 
Liverpool failing to get the job done than a United, you know, solid defensive performance, you know, tactical masterclass, would you say? Or was it more of a United kind of figuring out how to stifle this prolific recently Liverpool attack? Um, well, United definitely deserve credit for uh, keeping a clean sheet against Liverpool. And I feel that any team who's able to do that certainly has put in a very good defensive performance. I'd say it definitely is more skewed towards Liverpool spurring chances. Yeah. They they really just not that they had so many clear cut opportunities, but I think how many the like thirty four shots in this game yeah, something so, somewhere in the thirties I'm sure uh, in terms of shots and maybe not all of them thirty four yeah thirty four yeah and maybe none of them were clear goal scoring opportunities but. You just gotta, you just gotta take some of them. Um, even even United, who only had six shots in this game, probably should have put one away. Could have, they, yeah. They certainly that Hoyland won six out. There, there is a reality in which United get three points out of this game. Yeah, but obviously Liverpool were completely dominant. Most of this game was played in United's defensive third, and yeah, like you said, it is it is a bit of both because. Liverpool should have put one or two away at least, just based on the sheer number of chances. Yeah. But United also reduced those chances to non, you know, clear goal scoring opportunities. Mm-hmm. None of them were necessarily easy, per se. Yeah. So, yeah, that's just kind of what's led to this stalemate. I think Varane deserves tremendous credit because he was out of favor from Ten Hag. Really, the only reason he started this game is because there is quite literally nobody else. <laughs> Maguire got injured uh, in the uh, Champions League game uh, against uh, Copenhagen. So, Varane kind of forced to start yeah. oddly out of favor um, by Ten Hag. Was, even Johnny Everton's was favored yeah. above him. But he played really well in this game. Shocking, though, you know, like four-time Champions League winner, World Cup winner, you know, plus <laughs> decent performance. Uh, but yeah, he was great. I thought uh, Mainu was great. Um, he's been fantastic recently. Yeah, he's, he's been very one good. One of the bright spots of this unimpressive run of form for United. I shouldn't see poor because they've gotten results. But they have gotten results. Yeah, yeah. just unimpressive-looking run of results. Mm-hmm. Mainu has been that, you know, one of the bright spots, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So both of them deserve tremendous credit in this game. Uh, but yeah, just going into it, I mean... Without Bruno, without as funny as it says, as funny as it is to say, Maguire. <laughs> yeah, I'm missing those two. I really gave United zero chance. Yeah, I, I really did. Uh, yeah, yeah. All credit to him. I I just didn't think they'd be able to relieve pressure at all because Bruno's the one who like checks into the space, and you're able to play him a risky pass and get away with it to break the press normally. They're still not great at breaking press, but he's one of the guys that makes them decent at breaking the press sometimes. But my new Amrabat McTominay in the midfield is just a recipe for, like I said, 4-0. They just, they're not going to be able to break the press. It's going to be an attacking, like, Gravenberg or Endo just, like, putting pressure on that midfield without Bruno. And Amrabat or Mainu or McTominay are just going to give the ball away. It's going to find Salah. It's going to find Nunez. One, two, three, four, and so on. That wasn't the case. They they broke out over the top a lot. Obviously, they did give up the ball, but I don't think Liverpool really made them pay for it very often. There were like like you said, this game was played a lot in United's half, and it wasn't just because they had a lot of possession. It was 70% possession. It wasn't like 80% possession. They they had possession. They just locked them in. So that was the case. And they were, it was difficult to play out of the back. But when they did play out of the back, they, and successfully, I should say, it went long. And Hoyland wasn't getting much service, but the ball found Garnacho a lot, 1v1. The ball found Anthony a lot, 1v1. And those guys are the guys you that should be relied upon to probably generate some kind of goal in over the course of a 90 minute match. And they definitely had enough chances. Anthony on paper should be one of the best one v one players. He was certainly at Ajax. This, I, I'm not going to go into just shitting on Anthony because I've done that multiple times, but if United were to get points out of this game, it needs to be the Garnachos and the Anthony's because Hoyland 
rightfully so, was locked up by the Van Dyke Kanate. He was just like the guy on his back every time he maybe even got the ball. There was, was a guy on his back. He either had to play backwards or try to turn and lose it. Where they had success was finding the press break out to those wings, Garnaccio, Anthony, and those guys, both of them, very good 1v1, kind of just didn't have it 1v1 on the day. And that was your ticket to an upset victory, which eventually didn't come. On the Liverpool side, like I said, really didn't, not even take advantage of their chances because I can't even think of like a golden miss that they had. It was really just like, wasn't direct enough, wasn't clinical enough in the final third when it came to intricate passes. Um, not having McAllister probably hurt a little bit there, but uh, Slabaslai did not play well at all. And he's the guy that's been kind of their uh, lock picker, should I say, for the low blocks. It just It's not the Liverpool that we saw the last couple weeks. I'm not entirely sure in... In all honesty, whether that was, you know, uh, I'm not tactically smart enough to see whether maybe it was a United kind of Amrabat masterclass that I didn't see, or it was just, you know, the ball is just getting away from on the day, you know, just poor decision making, stuff like that, because it happens. But at Anfield, on the form they're in, with a very, very weak, already not on grade form United 11, this nine times out of 10 should be a comfortable Liverpool victory. And the fact that it wasn't kind of plays into my thought process, which was there for multiple weeks is that Liverpool are just not there yet when it comes to a title charge, because these are the games you need to handle like a lot of the time. And you need to be ruthless in these games. And I think Arsenal and city for the most part handle these games a lot I don't think Liverpool are like that this season. And I think maybe next year, maybe give Nunes another season, another summer for Klopp. Maybe they they become a little more ruthless, but I just think that they're not cutthroat enough in games like this to really push. They can come second, but like to win a title in this era of the Premier League, these are games you got to take three points from. And the fact that they didn't and didn't even really, not going to say come close, but like, they didn't like hit the crossbar. Like there wasn't even a press late in the game. Late in the game, it was most like last ten minutes. It was kind of United that got most of the chances. Hoyland had one late that could have won it for him. Uh, they gave up two chances, I think, in, in extra time. That you know, there were like golden opportunities. No, but it was them, you know, needing to stave off counterattacks. I just think that it's not quite there yet for Liverpool. I could be wrong, but that's my gut feeling for that. Yeah, I can understand. I agree with the overall analysis, but to be honest, I think every other title challenger can. If you're, if you're saying that City and Arsenal are the other title challengers mm-hmm. here, we'll. I mean, we can we can talk about Aston Villa maybe in yeah. a couple more months if uh-huh. they're still hanging around. The they top need to of win the away game first. <laughs> <laughs> well, they did actually, but good. yeah. Um, but yeah, but I think Arsenal and City have both had similar performances to. This game against yeah, you look at Arsenal's performance against Villa, where they were in control for much of the game. Not this kind of control, yeah. but where the execution was just uh-huh. totally off. And that's that, run of form currently. Yeah, I think that's a different. Uh, you compare it to the Arsenal Villa game. I think it's a different type of game because I think Villa came into the game saying like we can win this game. Like we Arsenal are coming in like okay, like we're gonna have to fend off some crazy form. And if we come out with a win, that's a like a feather in our cap. This game, Liverpool came in saying, all right, there's no reason we shouldn't be winning this game. And I think a lot of pundits and football analysts around the world said there's no reason why Liverpool shouldn't be winning this game, probably by two or three goals. And they came in and didn't really even generate a golden opportunity to score, which is my level of concern, but continue. Yeah, well, listen, it's a valid point, but... And we can talk about like the nitty gritty of like, you know, what kind of mentality you're going into uh-huh. these, the mentality you have going into these games. But at the end of the day, it's really all it is is a performance that they should have gotten more points out of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. Everything else, in my opinion, is just kind of overanalyzing. Yeah. Arsenal should have gotten more points out of the Villa game. Sure. They didn't. Sure. Liverpool should have gotten more points out of this game. But they didn't. It's just the types of games that teams have at the end of the day it's 
how many times are you able to overcome that mm-hmm. in the end? And I think every every team in the in this title race has shown weakness. So I don't think it's necessarily a slight on their title credentials, or at least not any more than City or Arsenal dropping points is. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I agree with you in that it just simply wasn't good enough and they have to be doing more. On the United side of things, it's it's really the same theme. It's we don't look good, but we probably got a better result than we than we deserved on the day. It it just I don't know, it's it's very it's very contradictory to it. I don't think the Ten Hag's team is playing well. I don't think even you the most delusional of United fans could say that Ten Hag's team is playing well, but they have a lot of injuries right now. They have nowhere near their full squad. Maybe this is just an injury crisis because they're getting results in ugly results, but it doesn't really matter in the Premier League. And we've said that a hundred times. I I give Ten Hag a little bit of credit because this is a game they shouldn't have got a point from, and they did. Not after 90 minutes. I'm talking about before. They were going in. Everybody said they were going to lose, especially at Anfield, the way they've been playing. They went in, got a point, and that's kind of the way that... I mean, I go back to like the Brentford win at home where they were down one nothing, came back and won. Was that Ten Hag that made McTominay score a brace in the last five minutes? Probably not, but like this team is gritty and gets results. Like for all the shit they've gotten, they're sitting sixth? Seventh. Seventh? Yeah, seventh. Uh one point behind Newcastle in sixth. Like for all the shit and I, I think I've said this every week since they've started playing poorly, but for all the shit they get they haven't been getting the results to match that shit. And I think at some level, Ten Hag deserves a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's pretty much as straightforward as just saying they got a point out of a game that they really weren't supposed yeah. to. And I think it's as simple as that because this is not the type of United performance that you're really going to see again. It wasn't like it was a really back-and-forth end-to-end game that finished 3-3 where United showed a bit more attacking quality but were also you know a bit more porous defensively similar to what we've kind of seen Mm -hmm. this isn't really like a United we've seen they just hunkered down yeah you know did the dirty work and got a point out of this game yeah I don't think there's really much else to it I don't think it's a sim a sign of things to come necessarily it is just good to get a point Mm mm-hmm out of a place you're not expecting to. I think it's there's that much more to yep. it than that, and they'll be happy for sure point. We'll move swiftly along to some scores from around the grounds in match week 17, starting off with Nottingham Forest nil, Tottenham 2, the would-be nail in the coffin uh, for their manager. Uh, maybe it was because of Charleston scored on them. Because <laughs> although he's been on yeah, we unquote, good form recently, yeah, uh, good form. was it three goals in his last... Two games, right, for Charleston? Yeah, I think so. Um, and then Dayan Kulishevsky, also on red-hot form, um, in the 65th. Basuma, red card in the 70th minute. We talked about this a little bit before, but you're in disagreement with this one? Yeah, I, I won't. I'll find another chance to go on my red card crusade. Yeah. I'm sure there'll <laughs> be another one. Uh, for the sake of time, I'll keep it a bit shorter. But I just think that the foot is high. I get it studs up, but there really isn't any force behind the challenge. Basuma stays on his feet. Yeah. I just don't think it's a challenge that's really endangering the player, but it looks bad. And based off precedent, mm-hmm. this season it warrants a red card. But I think in the spirit of what a red card is meant to do, it just isn't. Well said. Uh, 2 nothing is the final. Tottenham Hotspur take all three. Uh, they now sit fifth. Um, one point behind City in fourth for a top four spot. City one point from Europa League. Well, not actually, because there might be five, maybe even six. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but right now, one point off top four for Tottenham. Chelsea two, Sheffield United nil. Cole Palmer in the fifty fourth. Nicholas Jackson in the sixty first. One of one of the Premier League's most prolific strikers, I must say. Uh, Nicholas Jackson with another incredibly clinical goal i'll mm-hmm. say um cole palmer goal and assist in this game coming into his own a little bit for chelsea getting one of those pen merchant uh flames <laughs> from earlier in the season uh slowly but surely 
Um, but yes, Sheffield United, really no match on the day. Chelsea take care of business at home. They sit 10th, one point above Fulham and behind Everton if they had no point deduction. Newcastle United 3, Fulham nil. This time it's Fulham getting shut out in a big way, um, coming off of two five nils. Uh, Raul Jimenez gets a red card in the 22nd, which caused, we can only imagine, the 3 nil. Um, Louis Miley in the 57th, the one of the youngest goal scorers in Premier League history. Yeah. Uh, Miguel Almiron in the 64th, and then Daniel Byrne in the 82nd. Always nice to see him on the score sheet. Good to see him back for Newcastle. Sure, three. yes. Um, sees Newcastle take all three at home. Newcastle sitting sixth on 29, four points off of Tottenham in fifth, uh, one point above United in seventh. Fulham, on the other hand, sit 11th, one point behind Chelsea in 10th, and two points above Brentford in 12th. Arsenal 2, Brighton Hove Albion nil, Gabriel Jesus in the 53rd, and then Kai Havertz, Arsenal's Player of the Month. That's future Ballon d'Or winner. <laughs> future, sorry, future Ballon d'Or winner Kai Havertz in the 87th. Um, continues his very good form for Arsenal. He was Arsenal's Player of the Month last last um, last month. Um, Arsenal take care of business at home against a Brighton team that is still on the back end of some not so great form by their standards. Brentford 1, Aston Villa 2. I talked about it earlier. I wanted to see Aston Villa get an away win, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, a Ben Me red card in the 71st after a Keen Lewis Potter opener for Brentford uh, saw Aston Villa take advantage of it, scored two goals in the next 10 minutes, more or less. Alex Marino in the 77th, and then Ollie Watkins gets the winner in the 85th. Um, Bubakar Kamara gets a non consequential. Uh, red card in the because there has to be a minimum five red cards every match week. Yeah. Uh, he just threw one on top of the pile. Um, that would not make a difference. Two one is the final for Aston Villa. They jump up to third in the Premier League on thirty eight. Actually, stay in third. They didn't jump anywhere. Um, on thirty eight, four points above City. Four points above City in fourth, mm-hmm. and just one point off title leaders Arsenal. And looking at a very real possibility of going top next weekend if. They, assuming that they continue their uh-huh. uh, 15-game winning streak at home and beat bottom of the table, yeah. Sheffield United, if Arsenal and Liverpool draw at Anfield, Aston Villa will be top of the table. At yeah. I mean, I think and we'll get the predictions in a couple minutes, but it's a very likely draw there, in my mm-hmm. opinion. West Ham 3, Wolverhampton Wanderers 0, uh, Mohamed Kudus story of West Ham recently, him in the 23rd and him in the 32nd again, uh, both from Lucas Paqueta. Uh, and then Jared Bowen gets a insurance goal in the 74th. Uh, and that's how it would finish three nil at the London stadium. West Ham form has been all over the place. Like you can't even really take their form from week to week because they play well and then they don't drop points and they play well and they get three points like this game. Then they don't play well and they win and they don't play well and they lose. It's like they're really, you can't really pin a form for this team right now. Um, And for all that, they're sitting eighth, which is not too bad right behind United. Uh, They're on 27 United on seventh in 28. They are one point above Brighton who are on 26th in ninth. Wolverhampton Wanderers on the other end, uh, sitting on 19, uh, tied with Brentford and Bournemouth also on 19. They sit 13th, Brentford in 12th, Bournemouth in 14th. And that's just about it for match week 17. Let's roll right into match week 18 coverage. Just one prediction this match week. It's a big one, though. One versus two, Liverpool hosting Arsenal at Anfield. Ethan, what do you got? Yeah, like you mentioned before... On on paper, it seems like a draw would be a very reasonable prediction for this game. The team separated by just one point, and Liverpool proving that Anfield is not absolutely everything after dropping two crucial points there to United uh, this previous weekend. I actually think that Arsenal pull pull out three points here. Uh, I think the past two weeks they've actually played very well. I think, um, like I mentioned, you know, 
on the podcast after the Villa game that it was really just a complete aberration, the lack of execution that Arsenal showed in that game. But it was really impressive, the amount of control that they exhibited. Talk about Brighton? Um, and that Villa game. Oh, right, yeah. Um, I think it was just really impressive, the control they they showed in the game at Villa Park mm-hmm. against... I mean, arguably this season, away at Villa Park is the toughest fixture um, on the Premier League calendar. And they really controlled that game. And I think on a different day, they genuinely could have gotten three points out of there. Uh, and then against Brighton, I thought they played fantastic. The 2-0 scoreline really didn't do it justice. They could have had three, four, five. Brighton had one real chance in the game. They barely ventured into Arsenal's final third. I thought it was a very, very complete performance. Mm. And I don't think Arsenal have gotten a win at Anfield since 2012, but this season they also beat City for the first time in eight years. Yeah. So The Obama administration. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is the season where Arsenal not necessarily – doesn't necessarily mean they're winning the title, but I think Arsenal this season are finally, you know, breaking these ducks. So I think they're gonna get a two-one win out of Anfield. See, I was also gonna say Arsenal are gonna get a win, but us being both Arsenal fans, it just seems we're too much of homers if both of us say we're gonna get a win. But I, I do. I think I, I think it's teetering on the edge. I don't think Liverpool are gonna go and get a win. Because they didn't look great last week. And I think they're going to need to be much more clinical against an Arsenal team that will probably dominate possession against them in all likelihood the same way they did against uh, Villa away. That being said, I think Liverpool Liverpool's dynamic changes a lot when week to week. Think about the United game they had to play a high defensive line, a high center back line to kind of like lock uh, Liverpool in. And then the next week they're playing a completely different set of tactics where they can spring Diaz, they can spring Nunes, they can spring Salah on the attack. I think that plays into their hands much better. And I think Arsenal can have a lot of trouble with that. I do think they'll concede because last week they weren't great defensively. I didn't think they were that sound. They definitely, for... How much possession and like kind of attacking quality United had, they shouldn't have had any chances in that game, but they still did because I don't think Liverpool's defense has been great this year. So I'm going to say it's going to be a decent amount of goals. I'm going to say 2-2. And that brings us to our final segment. In honor of the UEFA Club, FIFA, I should say, not UEFA, FIFA Club World Cup, um, we're doing a little bit of a club guess who. So I'll give you a clue. Then you'll guess a club, and then a, and the first clue will be difficult, and it'll get easier and easier and easier. Obviously, the clues stack on top of one another. Um, so, you know, eventually you'll come to a conclusion. You can guess. You can just throw out a guess after every clue if you want. Um, but I have five clubs for you today. All right. So we'll start off. I won the UEFA Cup in 1989. Uh... Monaco? <laughs> Incorrect. Our nickname is the Eagles. Frankfurt? Incorrect. Good guess, though. Our colors are inspired by ancient Greece. Colors inspired by ancient Greece. Color, not collar. Oh. Color, as yeah. in, like, red, blue, green. Uh, yeah, uh, that's why I was Okay, thinking. yes. Okay. Colors inspired by ancient Greece. Eagles. Hamburg? Incorrect. I think this one might give it away. Maurizio Sarri is our manager. Oh, uh, Lazio. Lazio is correct. Uh, this is world, by the way. Uh, Club World Cup all yeah. over the world. So not just Europe. Mm. Okay, round two. That was four. I, I have five clues for each. Okay. Our club was formerly known as SSV Moncrasat. Markrensat. No, yeah. Palmeiras. <laughs> we played in the Champions League, the UEFA Champions League, for the first time ever in the 2017-2018 season. 
Leipzig. Correct. Well done. <laughs> uh, we were founded in 2006. Marco Rosa is our manager and Timo Werner is all-time goal scorer. Well done. What what led you to that? Um, playing the first time in 2017-18. Um, Could just be a, you know, like lesser, you know, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I mean... I knew you. I knew you probably wouldn't choose like a team. I mean, I'm sure there were probably a couple of teams that yeah. played their first Champions yeah. League game in 2018, but I'm sure those are probably like niche clubs I would never guess. So I knew it had to be something sure. more high profile. And I know Leipzig are a relatively new club uh, or relatively new to the top. I definitely would have gotten it after the 2006. Sure. We played our top flight, our first top flight match in 2009. I shouldn't really uh, think too hard. Uh, Dusseldorf. <laughs> Incorrect. Clint Dempsey had a notable spell at our club. Well, I was going to say Fulham, but I know it's not because they're. They definitely didn't first play. Uh, first top play game in 2009. Um, this. Seattle Sounders? Seattle Sounders. Well done. Really? Xbox mm. was our kid sponsor up until 2018. We play out of the stadium formerly known as CenturyLink Field. Russell Wilson is a part owner of our club, Seattle Sounders. Oh, only in 2009 they That was their first season, was 2009. I guess the MLS isn't that old. Round four. MLS was like five, like eight clubs yeah. up until like 2005. Um, round four. We are one of the most successful teams in league history with 28 domestic trophies. Bayern Munich. Incorrect. We have a 75% Asian roster. Uh, is it Zedit? Incorrect. Our colors are blue and yellow. 28 domestic trophies, 75% Asian roster. Our colors are blue and yellow. Dialo Kiev? Incorrect. We are owned by a public investment fund. Oh, uh, Al Nassar. Al Nassar, correct. We are we finished as runners up in the Saudi Professional League in 2023. Al Nassar. And round five. Founded in 1879, we are the oldest club in our city. Um Incorrect. An Egyptian businessman took us over for 6.25 million pounds in 1997. Uh, Preston North End. That'd be unbelievably harsh if I put Preston North End in here. (laughs) We finished 7th in 2008-2009 under Roy Hodgson, qualifying us for the inaugural season of the Europa League. I know Roy Hodgson managed Liverpool. They've they faint. What season was it? 2008-2009. They went to the Champions League final in 2007, but I can't come up with a better guess, so I'm just going to say Liverpool. Incorrect. We play on the banks of the River Thames. Okay. Well, that's... That's England. Um... Oh, Fulham. Fulham is correct. Okay. Our manager is Marco Silva was the last one. Um, and that, you did pretty well. I, the Leipzig one was good. Sounders, I think the Clint Dempsey one, now that I think about it, all the clubs you played for before is either MLS or, like, ridiculously old clubs. Yeah. So like The only clubs I, I I know he's played for are Fulham, Spurs, and Sounders. It could be Fulham yeah. or Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was good. I should have gotten, gotten Alan Serra quicker. I thought, like, the... Asian roster was that what threw it off? I thought you were yeah. gonna think like uh like East Asian. Yeah, but I knew that that would be like too difficult. Yeah. Um. Then again, I said press North End. <laughs> um. Yeah, I should got that one too. I thought like Russia, that like uh, Russian teams may like have yeah. like a lot of Asian. I have or... not kept. I don't even know what's going on in the Russian league. Yeah. But after they invaded Ukraine, like I don't. Even, I think they kind of ostracized them from world football. Yeah. Um. But that just about rounds it up for match week 17, match week 18 coming up. Some pretty nice fixtures coming up. Luton Town get another home game. That'll probably have some crazy shit happen against Newcastle. Um, Tottenham Everton, that should be a good game. Uh, at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, can Everton do it again? And obviously one versus two. It's yeah. You don't get that too many times a season. So 
That, especially as an Arsenal fan, not going to miss a second of that. And with that, we will say goodbye. Adios. See ya.